Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Dan Benjamin. How are you? Well, you know, I'm recovering a little bit uh, from a cold. Yeah. Was it a cold I, or a something? No, it was awful. It was something terrible. What happened to you? Because the no, last, just... last photo I said, you're posting all these photos. You're all around. You're traveling around doing a thing. And then there's a photo of you, a selfie with a, a surgical mask on saying that you're in a, a clinic. And then I hear nothing from you for days. I know you texted me a worried text. Yes. Because Dan, you are kind of a grandma. I, in, in that I worry about you and I want you to be yes, all right. I'll take yes. that. You worry. You're like, oh, are you okay? I'm like, Dan, you're in Austin. If I weren't okay. I'd fly right out. Are you kidding? I'd get on a bus. I'd fly out there and take, you know, spoon feed you some chicken soup or whatever. Oh, oh, with oh, a robot you, arm. You stop. Um, yeah, that's right. It was a type of sickness that you wouldn't want to be around. And I know you typically yeah. do not want a podcast even when you have even the slightest very sick uh, variation in your voice, right? You don't like, if you have a little stuffy nose or a little gravel in your voice, you would... You would cancel the show. I have definitely done that. And I actually had just today, it's just beginning. My little girl gave my son her cold. And once the two of them have something, I almost always seem to get it. And I woke up this morning with a little sore throat thing starting. And But I'm in that grace period when it's still early enough that I sound still sound like me. But like tomorrow, the next day, it's going to be bad. But yeah, I mean, I, I totally understood you not being able to record. Oh, well, I couldn't. Last week, I couldn't have recorded at all. I was like, I was, I had cold shivers and then hot Ugh. fevers. And I was, oh. you know, I couldn't even walk. It was awful. <sighs> but I don't want to, I don't want to like belabor that. But yesterday I went to the Russian spa. There's a, <laughs> there's a, a, a Russian bath here in Seattle called Banya 5. Wow. And they have a big steam room and then they have a big sauna and a, a, a freezing cold pool and a saltwater pool and a hot tub. And, um, and I go uh, with a, you know, with a very varying group of friends, small group of friends. And we do the circuit, you know, you go in the steam room. And the thing is, every one of these things is like, a, is an extreme version of itself. So the steam rooms, you can't see the person sitting next to you. It's so hot and steamy. Wow. The sauna is just, Super hot. You know, I've always done saunas. My dad was a sauna maniac. Yeah. He thought that going into the sauna was, he called it the executive workout. <laughs> he, he would take, he would take six, six saunas a week. Wow. And just executive workout. He liked to be nowhere better than sitting in a sauna. He had this little terry cloth, uh, sort of, um, what like mini toga or like it was a mini skirt basically yeah, made out of for a man yeah that he would wear in the sauna and as far as i know he wore the same one my entire life and now i'm thinking where did his little terry cloth thing i mean it was completely threadbare by the time he got to be old but but uh so i've always been in saunas and this sauna is cranked i mean you know it's you can't be in there for very long then the cold dunk pool is is deep enough that you can just walk over to the edge and just jump in and and it is cold yeah and so so we do this cycle you know hit the cold pool between each thing sauna cold pool steam room cold pool then go sit so some of my little group and i'm little group i'm talking about four people you know right some of them really like to sit in the salt pond for a long time 
I kind of like the steam room best. Anyway, I went there and, and I, my, my feeling about it was like, this sickness is going to get a really, it's going to have a really bad time today because I'm going to do all these extreme things. And right. I'm going to perspire. And so I feel like I have utterly defeated it. And now I just still have a little bit of a stuffy nose. And, nah. but, I mean, you, you still know, sound like you, but I can tell you're on your way to recovery. Yeah, here, here I come. I feel energized again, but it's, it is, it was, it was absolutely a 10 day virus. Like if I had known last Tuesday when I started coming down with it, like you are going to be out for 10 days, just forget about it. I don't know. I think, I think it would have been easier than, cause I spent four days thinking I got this. Like, this is just, this is just some little kid cold and I'm going to beat it back. But then, you know, five days in, I'd been, I'd had a fever for four days. Like, this isn't normal. No, I mean, that, you know, when something starts lasting for a little bit longer, that it's, you know, you, you've got a fight ahead of you. And it, that just, it just sucks. Like, it really, like, there's just nothing, nothing you can do. You yeah. just got to, like, like, get through it. It's- just got to get through it. Got to get through it. Well, and then, you know, then I, then I had elements of this, you know, the racking cough or whatever that were genuinely painful and scary. I know it. I believe Or I'm just like, there were a couple of times where I was coughing so hard. There was one time you're going to hate this. I don't know. I don't, uh, I, I, I haven't talked to Merlin about this and I know you're the wrong one to talk to about it. Because of your germophobia. I'm out, we're over Skype. It's fine. We can yeah. talk about it. <laughs> but um, but I was coughing so hard. And if you are eating breakfast and listening to this program, I highly recommend you not. Like, yeah, take a little pause. Yeah. But like I was, I was, I was coughing so hard that I, that I triggered myself into dry heaving. <gasps> oh. And then I was dry heaving for 20 minutes. Oh, no. And I was like, this isn't helping anything. I'm not, I'm not expectorating any of the terrible material right. in me. And I haven't eaten anything in three days, and I'm just sitting here dry heaving. Oh, my God. I, and I was laughing. I was laughing because I was in, I was in such discomfort. Oh. You know, like, I was like, what, what else? What, how about if I start bleeding from the eyes? My God. Ugh. So I was a little bit, I was mad at God for, yeah, for really 40 minutes. Then, but when I'm imagining you in this, in this sauna, uh, I'm imagining you sort of dressed in the James Bond, Goldfinger, blue, Terry cloth romper that uh-huh. he wears. Do you know the one that I'm talking about? Oh, I do. I, I do. I don't picture myself in it very often, but that's I'm how glad. I'm imagining you in, in the sauna. I I was wearing my um my flowered <laughs> uh, Hawaiian swimsuit that has been so sun bleached <laughs> that it just looks like something that I something that I found under my truck tire. Um do you wear the glasses in into the sauna with you? No. No, no it would it would be pointless like well first of all what is there to see and second of all yeah they'd be they'd be they'd be messed up the whole time. Yeah. But it's a good. I'm glad you're. I'm so glad you're better. Yeah. Well, I'm better. Except, I don't want to. I don't want to shine 
such a, a light on my process. But you know, I have a uh, I have an office where I go to do my podcasting. Yes, and the office space kind of inspires me to continue continue working on other projects. And uh, and yet, just recently, I have I have a a mobile setup now where I can podcast from my house. Right. And I woke up today. Usually I wake up about eight and I look up, look around and I make an executive decision in that moment. Kind of like my dad's executive workout to make that big decision. <laughs> am I going to at eight, eight o'clock in the morning, am I going to go back to sleep until nine thirty, or am I going to go back to sleep till ten forty five? And I can genuine, genuine, generally set a little internal egg timer and wake up pretty close to one of those targeted second wake-up times. Yes, just without, just in your your own mind doing it. Yeah, like I'm going to sleep for another half an hour, I'm going to sleep for another hour, I'm going to sleep for another hour and a half. Right. But today... That's a talent. Well, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, I can... and Oh, and also, when I do wake up, I can usually get pretty close to what time it is without looking at anything. You know, I wake up, look around and be like, Hmm, it's about nine 45. Yeah. I'm good at that too. It's only in my forties. Have I been good at that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful, I mean, that's, I don't know. It's not useful like being able to rebuild a truck motor, but it's useful. It feels useful. (laughs) Right. But this morning I did not wake up at eight or any time. And so when I woke up, I was like, huh, well, it's probably about 9.30. We better get thinking about what's going to happen today. And I looked at my uh, clock, and it was 11.45. And I have no idea what happened. I don't wow. know why. I just I just completely slept through my whole routine. And then also my day-rar, or ra- day-dar. Day-dar. I, my day-dar was completely off. <laughs> Uh, and I had no idea what time it is. So anyway, all by way of saying, I did not run into the office to record our podcast. I am, I'm now lying in bed. Oh my gosh. Lying in bed with my podcast microphone perched on my chest and my laptop open. And, and this could be a, a new thing for you. Well, except, except I, you know, I'm maintaining this office and it would be, it would be kind of a, Bummer for me if I stopped going to the office. The office is is full of crepola. I need to I need to continue to utilize that office because I was really starting to get get going down there. You know, as a workspace. Even though it's a, if I sing during the day, there are people all all around me working, and it's a bad place to sing during the day because. You know, they're all doing their graphic art and stuff. And then all of a sudden down the hall comes this loud male voice singing, but no context because I'm, <laughs> I have headphones on. They don't hear the backing track. I'm singing to a, you know, to loud rock music in my headphones. <laughs> you know, got my shamanoo and a sloppy day. Ah! That sounds nothing like what I'm doing, but it, but that's what it sounds like to them. I had a woman come down one time and knock on my door and she's like, are you singing opera? It's very, it's very nice. I was like, you are trying to be, you are trying to be generous. You're trying to be nice to me right now. (laughs) To get you to stop. I'm sure it doesn't sound nice. 
it's it's so it's bizarro land. So anyway, I can't record vocals when I'm when I'm there during the day. So I have to do, you know, other stuff. And then at night, like late at night, there's nobody in this space. I can be down there recording vocals all the time. But, you know, I'm self-conscious recording vocals where other people can hear. I don't, I don't generally like the idea that someone is lurking in the hallway and hearing my, hearing my big sing. At least out of, outside of the context of hearing the rest of the music around it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if I was... If I, if I could be broadcasting the track and then, but of course you can't be singing the vocals and also cranking the music. Right. Wouldn't work. Anyway, so, so I don't want to get too comfortable podcasting at home because, you know, there's every day there's a thing that there's a reason why I don't want to drive into town. And you don't want to fall into that like trap of just now I don't go anywhere. Now I just stay. Right. I stay at home. I podcast from bed. Then I have no reason not to go back to sleep. And then it's 4 PM. I mean, that's just not a bad, that's just not a good, good way to set up your life. So let's, I'm pretty psyched about it right now. You know, I pioneered this, this uh, method. The first time I podcasted with you, from Los Angeles. Same mic, same laptop. Laying in bed. It was the first remote. Yeah, I you never, had it on your propped up on your chest, right? Yeah, and now here I am. Um and I, this thing's got a cough button, so I'm about to cough right now and I I'm going to go away. Ready? I'm ready. Well, I will take advantage of uh you coughing to do our first sponsorship spot. It is Bench Bench is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. They handle the bookkeeping so that you don't have to handle the bookkeeping. They focus on that so that you can focus on the stuff that matters to you, on doing your own business, on making money or art or whatever it is that you like to do. We use Bench. I started using Bench before they became a sponsor, and they're really, really awesome. I was working with a really good bookkeeping service here in town, a woman who did a really great job, but she was used to doing, you know, like like working with bigger companies. We're a really small company, and she charged a lot more than really we could afford to pay, and that's what kind of led me to bench because I was really interested. Like, could this work? Could there be a service that has real human beings who are bookkeepers working for bench to do my bookkeeping. Like how hard would that be? And they're not like here, so they can't show up in my office and do stuff. But how would it work? They have come up with the most amazing service. It is really, really awesome. Basically, you go to Bench. It's bench.co. You go there, you sign up, and they connect and link into your bank accounts. They link into your credit card account. If you're selling stuff on Stripe or whatever, like they hook into all of that. And what's amazing about it is that they have like a dedicated bookkeeper who works on your account, who communicates with you inside of their system. When they have a question, they ask you and you can answer it right there. They, you know, oh, this was an expense. How should we categorize it? They do it. And they just bring everything together. You hand off everything 
You don't have to like reconcile bank accounts anymore. You don't have to match up transactions in your credit card. Like it's just done. It's amazing. And it integrates with everything and they're doing the best job ever. And it's like really affordable. We're going to make it even more affordable for you. No matter what size your business, you can be a one person business, thousand people. I don't care. Go check them out. Roadwork listeners get 20% off their first six months. Visit bench.co slash partner slash roadwork. Again, bench.co slash partner slash roadwork, and you will get 20% off your first six months. Go check them out. Just had a big cough, a big delightful cough. (laughs) No one had to listen to it. All right. You know, there are advantages to this. I mean, this could this could be a good alternate, but I like the idea of you going into an office and having papers and Yep. Yep, me too. Keeping stuff there that forces you to go in. Yep, yep, I like it too. Uh it was a big switch for me that when I got the first you know, small office outside of my house after I'd been doing this for a few years because I was always doing it in like a spare bedroom or at one point like a large walk-in closet I was doing it out of and finally getting it to a different place meant, you know, I, like I, I had resisted that for so long. I'm like, no, I don't work from home. I want to work from home. My commute, my commute's 15 steps from the coffee, you know, to the, to the room and, you know, and, and that was great, but I love having that separation of, you know, like I'm, I go here and do this thing when I'm there. Like that's, it puts me in the right mindset. It's easier to stop working and mm-hmm. start focusing on, on something else. It legitimizes it as, as a business. Like there's right. a part, there's a, I've seen a lot of studios, recording studios and podcast studios and, and video editing studios that are in the spare bedroom. Right. And there's a, there's a part of me that when I, when I see the studio in the small bedroom, it's depressing. It depresses me. There have been a couple of, I've known a couple of people who have made a recording studio in the big bedroom and they live in the small bedroom. Oh. And that has always felt like absolutely right. You're broadcasting, <laughs> you are recording people from home. Like I've made a couple of records in my bass player's home studio. He had a two bedroom apartment and he, he, for all intents and purposes, converted the entire apartment into a recording studio. And then in the small bedroom, it was where he lived. That was where his, that was his private premises or whatever. But the, the big bedroom was the control room. And then we did all the tracking in the living room. And that felt like, yeah, this guy's got his priorities straight. But when you come into somebody's house and it's like, oh, I'm living in this house. And then this back bedroom with like carpet and closet doors that slide, um, like accordion style closet doors. It just feels like, oh, this is this. I, I get it. I know you're getting started here and this is here, but it just feels just feels sad somehow. Yeah, there is a little bit of I some I forget where I was. It was, oh, it was somewhere, you know, South by Southwest interactive just ended and the music part just began. And so there was like a, some of my friends had a closing South by interactive party that I went to and somebody there was, I think they asked and they're like, well, you're you're still recording your house, right? I'm like, like my first reaction to it was like, first of all, you haven't listened to anything for quite a while. 
Right. Don't screw yourself. Yeah, which is okay. But like, I I don't know why, but like there's still, even though I did, I'm like, I worked as a software developer remotely from the the companies. Like I did it independent, like contracting. And then I, I actually did it for another company, but I was working out of my house for a long time, many years. And when I started my own business and uh, doing podcasting, it was right from the same room. I just had a microphone in there. And, but like that feels like a million years ago to me. And it feels like somehow, like you're saying, like having that office really separates, legitimizes it and makes it like a real thing. Like, what do you do? I podcast. Oh, you do that from your closet? Like, I I used to, but no. And it was, I don't know, there was something in me that sort of recoiled from the idea of of that. And especially with like two kids running around the house, it's it's almost impossible to do that. Well, and you know, Merlin's podcast studio. I've never been invited into the the Merlin one. It's legitimately, you know, we talk about man cave. Yeah. But he has, you know, he's taken over what probably was at one point in time, a place that sold... Uh, like Chinese herbal medicine, you know, it's a, it's a storefront, right. but he has, he has put newspapers over the windows uh-huh. and he's set himself up as far back from the street as you can be right. in this space. Right. So you walk in and the whole front of it is just sort of shelves and hang on. Cough button. Our next sponsor is meh, meh.com. M E H meh.com. This is, you know, if you do you remember the old site woot woot.com? It's it's like woot.com because it's from the people who started woot.com. It's a classic daily deal site created by the same folks behind woot.com. Well, Amazon went and acquired woot and woot started selling all kinds of stuff at once. So these guys quit woot to start meh. And that's what it is. It's a daily deal site. Goes back to the idea of selling just one thing a day. One thing a day. Now, in my experience, it tends to be cheaper than than anywhere else for whatever that thing is. But every single day they launch a new deal. They put up a new story. The writing is hilarious. It's fun to just read, even if you're not interested in in the thing that they're uh, that they've got for you. And then they have really fun videos. They've got this great community all around it. It makes it a fun place to just go and stop by. Could be part of your morning routine. It's part of mine. And it's just fun. There's this really funny daily story. And a lot of the time, uh, the thing that they have up there, you, you won't want. You won't care about it. But the story is so good. And then once in a while, guess what? You find something up there that is really, really awesome. And once they sold out of it, like, that's it. It's gone. Today's, I'm just looking at it right now, they had this Targus Drifter 2 17-inch laptop backpack. They were selling it for 25 bucks. It's normally 60 bucks if you want to get it on Amazon. That's amazing. I mean, 25 bucks, it's an awesome thing. That's the kind of deals that they have on there. And uh, it's, it's really fun. Again, they got a really fun community. Go check them out, meh.com, M-E-H.com. They're doing great work over there. And uh, go get yourself like a crazy, crazy deal. Oh, it's cough button is amazing. Are you, you all right? <laughs> if you had heard that, you would have been very concerned for me. But here I am. Oh, I'm just, I'm back. Cough button. Uh, uh, so you walk, you know, you walk deeper and deeper into Merlin's lair and uh, and it genuinely feels like a cave. It's just a cave that instead of stalactites, uh, there are uh, like little Spider-Mans and stuff, uh, little like weird uh, yeah. Yeah, Spider-Mans, I guess, or, or Wolverines. 
Uh, so it, it, but it really feels like a space that he's dedicated to this, to the proposition, not that all men are created equal, but that he is a, he is an official podcaster. It's right. his, That's his, his thing. It's his gig. I just realized, Dan, that you are in the middle of South by Southwest. Right. An experience that utterly destroys Austin Ugh. and, and remakes it in its own image. Yeah. And you're just living there like a normal person. Right. South by Southwest is maelstroming all around you. Yeah. You know, I try to, I live, uh, I live and work a bit north of downtown. Like my office is like a little uh, 10, 15 minutes north of downtown and works. Yeah, but I, home South, by's been, South by has been moving in that direction for 10 years. Yeah, no, it has. And it really does take over. And especially like we had the president one day and then the first lady a few days later doing keynotes and like it's the whole all the way up and down everything is just completely locked up everyone's i guess trying to go down there to right Be in the neighborhood. but yeah i just it's it's insane and i do my best to avoid it and the few times i do go down there for like a, a meetup or someone has a you know, like a party on rainy street or something that you just you just brace yourself for the traffic and the attempt the failed many many failed attempts to try and park somewhere and we don't really have a good public transportation system here like there are buses but it's not like buses in a in a in a city that's designed to have good public transportation like a, a friend of mine had relocated here from new york and he's like oh we don't have a car or anything i'm like what mm-hmm. you know like you're moving to you're moving to texas like this is we 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 borderline we didn't invent cars but we in, we we own driving out here like everyone yeah. drives everywhere for everything and he's like oh, i'm just gonna take the bus i'm like taking the bus here is not like taking the bus in a in a commuter city and you know like a public transportation commuter city it's a different thing he found out pretty soon that, that wouldn't work so well but it's just that like the downtown is just it's insane like uh and and everybody uh, the, i heard this the worst story ever is a lovely woman who worked uh, works at a, a big uh, music company. She was asking me for advice on barbecue, which I'm obsessed with barbecue. And uh, she's like, oh, I went to one place, and it's where everyone said to go, and it wasn't that good. And I don't want to disparage the place, but it's the one barbecue place that's like in downtown. Oh, I know the one. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's good compared to most of the rest of America, but in Central Texas or a barbecue city, like it's it's pretty awful. Yeah. And you know like people get get that kind of thing wrong all the time there and 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 then they they'll come back and I ate barbecue in Texas it wasn't that good. And I'm like no, you ate at the chilies of barbecue places. Like don't eat there. You know my experience, you know, I've ever described my barbecue odyssey there in, no. in Austin. I would love to hear this. So I went to South by Southwest for 10 straight years. Starting when? 1998. Oh man. To 2008, I was at South by the whole time. And in 1998, it still felt like, oh, wow, this yeah. is cool. And, you know, and I was new, so I didn't know anybody. But there were parties all the time. And, and that first year, maybe second year. No, the first time I went, I didn't know anybody. It was, uh, I was there and Death Cab was there. We were there together. And... Uh, Dave Bazan was on tour at the time, not intending to come, had not invited to South by, but he came anyway. And the, uh, the day of our showcase, some other band on the showcase 
dropped out and Dave was standing there and we were like, Dave, you're on. And he mm-hmm. jumped up on stage and put it, you know, put his stuff together and did a whole show wow. that nobody expected. And it just felt like we were this the little cadre of, of upstart bands from the Northwest and we were down there and, you know, it still felt like you were going to get signed or something. And right. after the show, a bunch of people came up and handed me their business card and I was like, this is it. We're off to the races, you know, and then I read their business card and it was like, Maisie Glotz's home uh, band management company. <laughs> right. And I realized, oh, this is like 20 people that are also hoping to break into the music business. And they're trying to get, you know, we're hoping to find somebody that's going to help us. And they're hoping to find some band that's going to help them. Right. That'll be their ticket. Yeah. Right. So there was no, there was no business angle except that later on I met people kind of around the country that all said like, oh yeah, I saw you at South by in 98. So I was like, oh, it, it did. It was still small enough that like, it felt like a really cool party. And then in the early two thousands, like they opened that Hilton on the, on sixth mm-hmm. street or whatever. And, and uh, the first year that Hilton went up, uh, rooms were $99. Oh, wow. And so we went in, it was like, <laughs> we bought, we bought five rooms like, Hey, and so we're standing this Hilton and it's 99 bucks. And it, and it, we just felt like this is the greatest party in America. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, you know, I, I felt like it jumped the shark, which is a phrase I have never used until now, mm-hmm. but one year it was kind of crowded and there was something shitty about it all of a sudden. And somebody, <laughs> we were sitting at some party and, and uh, somebody said to me, you know, Sony bought 500 all access passes this year to, Whoa. for all their employees worldwide. And we kind of all looked around. It was like, Oh, that's not what this is about. This is independent music. What the hell is Sony even doing here? Let alone 500 Sony employees from all around. And, you know, you get, they get these badges. So they're first in to see every show. And it just crapped out the whole thing mm-hmm. because all the labels were doing that or all the big business people were doing that. Yeah. It really uh-huh. did change. You're not the only person who's told me a story like that where, you know, they, they kind of, they were there in the beginning and witnessed it and then saw it, saw it kind of change into something terrible. Yeah. I was at an iron and wine show where, the premise is be quiet. He's quiet. If you've ever listened to a note of, of that music, you know that in order to accomplish it, it has to, you have to have real quiet. Hmm. He sings almost in like a breath. He's so breathy. And, and so if you're going to go to an iron and wine show anywhere, you presume not to talk. And I went into this thing. You couldn't hear him. You know, there was, there were 1,400 people there because it was the show to be at. But everybody's in the back talking about the music business. You know, a bunch of shrill, right. loud, drunk people. You couldn't hear a word. Or you couldn't hear a note of the music. I, I, I was super excited to see the show and left in the first 20 minutes because I was like, well, this is pointless. And it was that type of evolution where it was like oh this is this has turned into a shitty frat party anybody who anybody on the music business side 
that's coming at this where the, the their company bought them a all excess pass and they it's just like a drinking vacation. Mm-hmm. No thanks. But anyway, my barbecue uh, odyssey was that that first year I did the thing that everybody does. I'm in Texas and I want to barbecue. And I went to the place that you're talking about. Yep. And I was like, huh, mm. well, is this what everybody's talking about? And then the next year, I kind of went a little bit far ranging, you know, across the bridge. Mm-hmm. Found barbecue. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's good. Or it's gooder. Mm-hmm. Still sort of like on the fence about it. And then as I started to meet, I started to make friends in Austin. And they were Austin people. And I saw them every year. Because I got invited to a house party that maybe the second time I went. And they were real Austin people that had a real festival in their yard that where they took over an entire street and it was Austin style, right? So they didn't they didn't ask the cops if they could take over the street. They just had a party for two thousand people in their yard. Right. And, you know, and there were dogs running all around. It was like it was a beautiful thing. So then I had friends there and they were like, oh, you can't get good barbecue, Dan. What are you doing? Right. And then we got into a car and we drove 45 minutes out of town. Oh, Salt Lake, right? Yeah, exactly. And that was good. <laughs> and, and I, was, and I under, started to understand a little bit better. But then as I started to meet more people in Austin, they were like, no, no, no. You, you got to go an hour and a half out of town. Oh, Lockhart. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden now we're out in this place where all the locals are looking at you like you're in a Bob Seger song. <laughs> you know, you pull into town and they're just like, is that a woman or a man? <laughs> Everybody's yelling, you know, just like yelling at you with their eyes. Mm-hmm. And then you're having barbecue that, wow, this is kind of blowing the top off of my head. Yeah. But I, but I also had to think like, this is a three hour round trip to get barbecue. What's the matter with you people? But like you say, Texas is about getting in your car and driving. Yeah. And nobody, nobody batted an eye at it. But then uh, I think about year six of that, somebody else, some other Austin friend was, was like, listen, forget about barbecue. The secret here is Al Pastor tacos. Oh yeah. And then I, then I went on to the taco, the taco odyssey. Yeah. Oh, that's easy to get sucked into. Yeah, so then I became like Al Pastor guy. And then I, you know, in 2008, I, I didn't go to Austin that year. I kind of had a choice. It was like, we we could go to Austin or we could do a, a cross-Canada tour that started in Vancouver and went all the way through, you know, Regina and, and uh, you know, we played Calgary and all these places that we, Edmonton places that you have to do a Canada tour. You can't go to Edmonton and then come back to the States. You really have to make a commitment. And so we spent three weeks in Canada and it was great. It was absolutely the right decision and didn't go to Austin that year and then started to get the reports from people like, Oh my God, you're so glad you didn't go. Right. Did you know there's a stage now built to look like a giant Doritos machine, a Doritos vending machine? And that's kind of a legendary story that, that, uh, that the festival has gone to hell. The, the Doritos vending machine stage 
And if, if you haven't seen this online, by all means, go look at it. It's a stage in the bottom of a giant Doritos machine, vending machine. And I've never seen this thing in person because the arrival of the Doritos stage coincided with the first year I didn't go. And now I think that that Doritos stage isn't even in the top 15 most reprehensible things of <laughs> Southwest. But at the time, it just felt like, you've got to be kidding me. What the heck is that? You know, up until that point or in the early days, like the biggest, the biggest to do was that punk rock pizza parlor down on 6th. Oh, where, yeah. they're, where they're blaring hateful death metal at you all night long. And you have to kind of, you have to wade through this cloud of, of darkness just to get a slice of pizza from these people. I mean, it's like they're so hostile everything about the pizza parlor is so hostile that it feels like a, it feels like a challenge mm. to get a slice of pizza. Anyway, I realizing that you are in the middle of, of South by right now. I'm, I just admire you even more. <laughs> well, thanks. Not- I'm just, uh, admire me for staying as far away from me as I can. I just stay away. I just stay, you know, the first, the first uh, year or two, maybe even three that I got here, I was so excited because I, I had never really gone to South by in, you know, in the years that it was cool. I had never gone. So why, why I, would you? you yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, like I knew like the other interactive folks, you know, who went, they, they always said how great it was. And it was like, everyone was together and, you know, like Merlin went back in, in, in the days and loved it or it seemed to back in the original time period. And so when I moved here, I'm like, well, yeah, I'll go. And like, I applied for like a press pass and they're like, oh, <laughs> speaking of legitimate businesses, they're like, sure, you you guys look legit. You can have a press pass to it, you know? And they gave us a few press passes and I went out there and, and, and like went to sessions and stuff. But I just, I, I thought that, that I was missing something because it was just kind of horrible and everyone was kind of agreeing at that time that like even the people who had gone for 10 years were now saying, you know what? I'm out. I'm not going back again. This is my last year. And there there was the first year that I went, everybody who was there who had been going for many years, they all were saying, this is it. It's my last one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and haven't come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, the, and the interactive, the film and interactive portions uh, were in the first several years I went, I don't even think, I think there was a film thing, but I don't think the interactive thing existed. It didn't. I don't think it did either. I think it, it was sort of a hallway yeah. kind of a thing happening, you know? So I, so I think I was there the first year there was interactive and I was kind of like, ha ha ha, this is cute. Like it's the computer people. What do they think? what do they think they're doing here? And look at them. They're kind of pathetic. Right. And then the interactive thing just blur, 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 blur. Right. And then it became this huge thing. I remember the year that Merlin went. Were you, were you there with him the same year? Yeah, I guess he would have been if you were there in 98. Yeah, I was a, I was a friend of Merlin's by then, but interactive was, a, was the week before the music thing. Right. So there was, I mean, we weren't going to fly down there just to, just to walk around the halls and I mean, at, at, definitely at the time and perhaps even still, 
when internet people get together to talk about internet, it still feels like, what is there to look at here? Right? It's just everybody. There's no show. It's just a bunch of uh, people in sweatpants <laughs> milling around talking about stuff that I don't. <laughs> I, at the at least then I didn't know what they were even talking about. Now I I, I think I would almost have more fun at the interactive thing. I think I, I think I think you would, except for the, the huge sort of commercial marketing oh, presence. Yeah. I don't think oh, you yeah. don't, don't even tempt yourself to go because it's just you would not like you would not yeah. like it. Yeah, uh, the the transformation, you know, the education of John in the in the internet in, you know whatever it was and i have to give credit to the um the internet computer uh social world that they have embraced me as much as they have right because i'm i was I've, i was vocally hostile to them for years and now i'm just begrudgingly nice to them but they, I mean, the, and I'm speaking very generally, there are so many people that work in that world and, and that that's their world who, who indulge me, indulge all the things that I say about them, laugh along with me and continue to be, to be generous to me and, and consider me to be part of their world in some way. It's, I, it's, I, it's, I it's think, lovely. Well, I think most I'm not, I can't say most. I think a, a large number of your listeners and listeners of this show absolutely consider you to be a big part of that scene. Yeah. And they're like, bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop, bleep, yeah. bloop all day. And yeah. then they listen to me on a podcast where I'm like, internet is stupid. People that do internet are dumb. This but is Pete, all dumb, That's what we want to hear. Yeah, I know. You're all masochists. Yeah. We want to hear it told like it is, you know by a guy with the stuffy nose that was that, you know, it's very hard to listen to this program or anyone I do. If you are, when I say anyone I do, although I do, you know, I'm, I, I guest on quite a few podcasts and yeah. I bring that whole, uh, I'm recovering from a cold and I'm going to cough into the mic aesthetic. Yes. To everything I do. So I just, I, I always recommend to people that they not be eating during one of our shows because it could veer suddenly into a very gross talk not gross what am i saying we're 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 polite young men yeah so we're very polite on this uh on this yeah. program we don't sit and talk about gross things but it just it would it's this incidental grossness where all of a sudden now i'll veer off you're you're very seldom gross dan and i think it's because you have a threshold where if you start talking about gross things you'll actually have to go wash your hands just from the thought of it well, I don't know. I think I have, you know, as being a being a parent as you are. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You get a lot of poop on you. You know, you get a, everything is about poop, and you know, my, like I mentioned, like I'm the cold that I have starting started with, you know, my little girl and coughing in your face, coughing in my face, or like you know, like we'll be in a store. Like I'm a, I'm I'm a dad in the truest sense, in that when I take my kids somewhere, I don't. My wife will have like a a bag with snacks in it and drinks and uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. all that crap. All that mom preparedness. Stuff. Right. And I'll be like, you know, no, nah, I'm not taking anything. She's like, you're not going to take their drinks. I'm like, I'm not taking it. No, let them starve. You know? And, and if I get in the car and they're thirsty, I've got, you know, the water bottle in there that I was drinking out of yesterday. They could take a swig from that. They eat stuff off the ground. Like that's, sure. you know, it's fine. 
Sure, the water's a little bit hot because it's been sitting in an Austin car. <laughs> That's right. Who cares? Yeah. They're not going to die from that. So yeah. you know, I don't care about it. So, you know, we're in the store and she, she, she's four and a half, I guess. And yep. she sneezes. And the way that she sneezes, it's, I don't know what, I don't know why it's different for her, but the snot just comes out like two little, like projectile streams down her, her face. Yeah. But I don't have anything to deal with this. Right. You didn't bring a and we're in the middle. Of, no, we're in the middle of a store. I don't walk around with one of those little, I, I mean, I should probably think ahead and have one of those little, just, you know, little packs of tissues that you just carry around. Mm-hmm. just in my back pocket of my jeans but i don't so what do you do you know what you wipe it with your your shirt and you move on you move on and so that of course that's why i'm sick now but yeah. you know like those kinds of things don't they like the idea of doing that before i had kids would have like really grossed me out like the idea of like that's on your shirt now the rest of your day like that's disgusting and you might have to throw the shirt out might have to burn the shirt you can't even shirt. donate that, you know, to a, to a Goodwill or anything. That shirt's, that's beyond filthy. But now, well, just tuck your shirt in, you're fine. I, I, I experience this exact thing all the time, right? Because I get on an airplane with my little girl, and my premise is, cough button. That was actually a snuffle button. <laughs> I was I was snuffling at that point. And I didn't want to. I want to spare everybody. Um, yeah, I get on an airplane with my little girl, and I say, "Well, if you get bored, here's a New Yorker, or uh, you can listen to the you can listen to the classical channel on your headphones, or what you should do is just sit in your chair and stare ahead like everybody does on an airplane." Right. And if her mother is traveling with us, there's an entire backpack full of coloring books and Cheerios in a bag and. You know, uh, all this material that assumes that she has a short attention span of a child Mm -hmm. and that she'll want to color for a while and then she'll want to play with some little gizmos and then she'll want her bunny and then she'll want her other bunny. And I'm amazed by it, but I'm also kind of like appalled by it. Like, why do you bring this entire other piece of luggage just, just to, just to shoot distractions to, at her out of a cannon when what she should be learning is how to sit and play with a piece of thread which is what <laughs> you know that's what they gave me right, right you find something on you know on the floor that's your toy yeah the 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 the, uh, the flight attendant would come by and give me a swizzle stick right that had a western airlines w on the top of it and i would play with it for an hour and a half uh, you know no i never had a coloring book so, uh, so I'm like, play with a piece of thread and she's like, Wah! and I'm like, no, seriously, look what a piece of thread can be. It can be a rope. It can be a string. It can be a snake. Uh, so, but then you're right. Like if there's an accident of any kind, which there, which there's going to be, I'm just completely out unprepared. You know, I'm like, uh, excuse me, uh, attendant, do you by any chance have a hundred wet wipes. <laughs> so I, you know, it's a, it's a risk we have to take, or, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a symbol of our, uh, maybe of the fact that hope springs eternal. Dads, yes. dads presume that everything's going to turn out all right. 
and moms are prepared for the worst possible scenario. But you know, I mean, other than like the kind of thing I, I describe, it seems like I have pretty, I don't want to jinx it, but it seems like I have pretty good luck Yeah, like that. Like I remember before I ever had a kid, we were with some of our friends, a couple who had uh, found each other and very quickly got, you know, to make up for lost time, got married and had a kid. Huh. And, uh, and I love you. Do you love me? Great. Let's start a family. Yeah. We're, uh, we're 37. Let's, let's get going here. Yeah. Yeah. And the kid, uh, the kid, we, we went to some, we were in, I think we we're in Tallahassee and we were at some beautiful, like, like, you know, like a, a park with a big old building on it and a beautiful sort of fountain out in the front. And the kid decided that he was going to balance along the edge of the fountain and we all just saw him just roll right in. Now, as a as a parent, I'm pre-parent. This was like oh crap! Like the day's over now. Like that's it. Like he's in the fountain. He's in the fountain. He's got is drenched from head to toe with the worst possible water you could find in a city. Oh yeah, the mom whips out a towel, dries him off. What? Whips off his wet clothes. Pulls out a complete fresh outfit, puts it on him. I've seen this. Hands him a thing of juice, and we're just like, it was (laughs) not even a thing. Like, we just kept moving. And I was like, how are you that prepared? She's like, well, the first time you fell in the fountain, I wasn't so prepared, you know? But that's kind of the parenting lesson is like, parents seem to have everything together. The reality is that they just, they've been through it and not had it. So they just never want to go through that again. I remember the first time that like I changed my little boy in, you know, changed his diaper in the back of a car. Yeah. How bad that went. And you better believe I drove around with stuff in there for the next time. I've done that. I think I might've even wiped her bottom with a paper bag, (laughs) but I never, you know, I never learned the lesson. I'm just like, well, you know, next time, I mean, you didn't like that any better than I did. So. (laughs) Maybe you shouldn't fall into the fountain next time because daddy wasn't ready and you had to ride in the trunk. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm always amazed by the, <laughs> by the people that are ready and, 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 you know, and I make a big, I make a big production about having a small bag packed and, uh, and being ready for any occasion. Yeah. But I feel your, like your go bag. Yeah. But I feel like what I'm ready to do is fight a mountain lion. Mm-hmm. I am not ready to deal with somebody who is, who fell into a fountain, you know, or I like, I'm ready to deal with it. I'm just not ready to change their clothes and give them a juice. I feel like somewhat that's their responsibility. (laughs) But, uh, you know, and my uh, little girl is just a little bit older than your little girl. And so right now she's going through a phase where she is really enamored with picking her nose. No, no, I don't like that. No, like and I've, the, and yeah, this may be in your future, right? Because when she was four and a half, she had never, she hadn't even discovered picking her. Now they do it. I'm, just, I'm very opposed to this. Well, so I, I am too. And so, I was traveling a little bit uh, this spring, and was kind of a little bit gone, a little bit uh, out of, out of uh, the, the routine where I am the dad and, and I do the dad things like say, don't pick your nose. <laughs> and I, so I got back from some trips and we were in a restaurant and her mom was there and my mom was there and she's got her fingers in her nose. Like it's the most natural thing in the world. And all the moms are not just not seeing it or 
It's just not on their radar of things to worry about. I'm like, what are you doing, kid? Don't put your fingers in your nose in a restaurant. And she looks at me with this, with this look that's like, have you never picked your nose, dad? It's incredible. <laughs> and I, you know, I had to lean forward and be like, listen, everybody likes to pick their nose. That's why we have individual bedrooms. <laughs> if, if it weren't for picking your nose and, and even let me go as far as to say eating your boogers, we wouldn't have bedrooms. We would all live together in a big long house. <laughs> we have bedrooms so that we can go into those places and pick at ourselves. That is why. So save it for the bedroom or the bathroom. And she's just looking at me like I'm saying, you know, uh, like looking at me and saying, I, uh, well, basically what I'm saying is, yes, I know that at some point in your life you discover masturbation. You don't do it in a restaurant. Right. And so for the last couple of weeks, she and I have been locked in this battle of wills where I'm like, don't pick your nose in a restaurant. You are five years old now, so stop licking your face all day. Like, keep your tongue in your mouth, too. They Just keep everything in. <laughs> so what do you, what, what's the consequence if she does it? Well... You know, I have a fairly convincing uh, cold stare, you know? Oh, yeah. There are a lot of people that will give you a cold stare and you go, yeah, sure. What are you going to do about it? And there, and, there, and I, I, I put this in the family of crazy eyes, mm-hmm. right? When, you, when you're living a kind of uh, danger life, when you're out there in the, in the, on the streets or in the drug houses, there are a lot of people that that give you crazy eyes as a way of saying, you know, I'm going to take your drugs. You better not fight me. Cause I've got crazy eyes. I'm mm. one of the, I'm one of the bad ones. I'm mm. great. I'm crazy. And I've been, I've been in several situations where, where it was, you know, where even weapons were drawn, mm. but nobody wanted to go into a weapon fight. And so the guy that first pulled out the knife or whatever, if uh, he realizes that you are not going to run and then he's, he's immediately out of options, right? His only option is to stab you or to, or to say, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have pulled out this knife and put it back in his coat. And so what that guy will do is he'll give you, he'll all of a sudden he'll get all crazy in the face. I'm a, I'm a crazy one. <laughs> you better not test me. <laughs> Arg. And that is an attempt then to convince you that you'd better not stand up to him because what is he going to do? And so you learn pretty quickly to tell legitimate crazy eyes from these cartoon crazy eyes. And in most cases, if somebody pulls out a knife and then gives you crazy eyes, you forget about it. He's, he's, um, he's nothing. He's a, he's a boob. Real crazy eyes do not, just come upon a man. They are already there. And you should have noticed them a long time ago. Mm. Long time before he felt like he needed to pull out a knife because then you are, then you really are committed. Oh yeah. And so my cold stare is not one that is, I don't gin it up to scare kids out of picking their nose. My cold stare is always engaged. And it's just a question of, do I, do I lower the temperature on it? <laughs> or, you know, it's already at 45 degrees. Do I drop it down 
to where you know, <laughs> to where the room gets cold, or do I keep it at forty five degrees and everybody's everybody's just fine? <laughs> so she knows she knows that the cold stare portends much worse consequences, and at least for now, I don't most of the time have to invoke those consequences. I can just you know I say take your fingers out of your mouth, and she puts her fingers in her mouth and then I lower the temperature a little bit and she just very slowly takes her fingers out of her mouth. And if she's too slow taking her fingers out of the mouth, I lower the temperature even a little bit more. Mm. And then, you know, conversation at the table stops and it's like, she, you know, she doesn't want to lose her dignity. Right. So there's this kind of like resheathing of her saber. She just, you know, she had the saber all the way out and then it just kind of slowly goes back into the sheath and then now the temperatures down to 28 degrees we can all see our breath but i don't know how long that's going to last you know when she's 14 years old i think that saber is going to go either not back into the sheath or back in so slowly that it's a challenge it's a challenge just by virtue of how slowly it is uh how slowly it is recovered. So I'm going to have to back it up with something. I don't know what it's going to be. Pepper spray, maybe? I don't know, Dan. I, this parenting thing is new to me. Yeah, I mean, we all got to learn as we go. Yeah, right. So, uh, cough button. Wealthfront. Let me tell you about Wealthfront. It's an automated investment service that makes it easy for anyone to get access to a sophisticated, diversified, long-term investment portfolio without the high fees and account minimums of traditional wealth managers. Forget those guys. Seriously, forget them. Historically, you would need to invest a million dollars in order to get the attention of, of one of these folks to get access to this kind of management. Wealthfront changes all of that. They charge no trading commissions. They're completely free for accounts under $10,000. Actually, if you, uh, if you sign up with our URL, it's uh, free for accounts under $15,000. If Once your account gets bigger than that, their management fee is only 0.25% per year. That's a quarter of what you will probably pay. And that winds up being a lot of money if you're paying all that out. 0.25%, that's the lowest you're going to find like anywhere. They combine the best of modern technology with rigorous investment research to cut out the middleman and give everyone sound investment management, no matter how much you have to invest. And when I say everyone, I mean they're managing like $3 billion in client assets right now. That's huge. And it means that they're serious and it means that they're doing a really, really good job. Their clients range in size from 500 to over $10 million with an average of approximately 60,000 bucks, but you don't need that much to get started. And if you're under 15K with this 5x5 promotion, you will get all of that stuff for free, free of charge for life, no commissions, no hidden fees, and no management fees. Go check it out, wealthfront.com slash 5x5. Again, a special URL to get in on that, wealthfront.com slash 5x5. Thanks very much to them for supporting Roadwork. Oh, yeah. This cough button is a real innovation. Where did you just sort of coughing off in the to the side? Well, um, no, I mean, I my head is also stuffed up. So there are these two it's two things that I don't want to inflict on other people. One is the like 
cough, 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 mm-hmm. cough. Mm-hmm. The other is the like snort, snort, snort. Mm-hmm. Both things grody. And the, and the, um, you know, the proximity of, of our podcasting voices, the fact that we are really residing inside people's heads. Very much so. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to do that to people. Hello, you know, hello. And then gorp. <laughs> you know, they don't want to inflict gorp on people. No. But this is not something that I, I used to feel like, no, you, you listen to the podcast, you got to, you got to experience the whole. It's real life. Yeah. But now, and I think mostly it was because I didn't have this, this cough button. It's really a lovely, de- lovely thing to deploy. Up here I go again. You know, it's funny that you mention the whole sauna thing because my wife has been researching like the health benefits of the sauna and stuff like that for a while and got a sauna for our house. It is a, it is a, let me explain what this is. Because it's not a sauna. Like when I thought of a sauna, I've imagined a room with kind of wooden panels on the walls, wooden bench to sit on, a thing with the coals with a little ladle where you throw some water on the coals and it gets super, super steamy. That's what I always imagined when someone says That's what a sauna sauna. is. That's right. Apparently that is one kind of sauna. It, to me, and still, I'm, I'm sticking with my philosophy. This is the only real kind of sauna. But there's something called an infrared sauna. Oh, I've heard about You know, I've been in one of these in Germany. It's, the, uh, it's all the rage, I think. The Germans really got hip to this infrared sauna a long time ago. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it, it certainly does come from, from Germany and, and Europe. Right, Scandahuvia. Yes, and it is a, a a room, but it can even be smaller than a room. In some cases, it can almost be like a box or a tent. And you sit in it, and instead of there being all the steam and all the heat in the room, it uses infrared lights that that somehow just work to sort of heat your body, uh-huh. so that you're in you're inside of it, and you get all the same health benefits without, I guess, a lot of the all the steaming effects of it and things right. like that. And the, the, yeah, right. The, you, you don't have to have the wood walls. That's right. So she's been reading about this and looking at all these different health benefits. And she's like, this would be great for us. It'd be great for the, the whole family and everything else. And so she said, you know what? I'm going to order it. And I am, I still was like, I'm like, are you, are you crazy? What are you, are you going to have this built? Like what is, what's going on? And it arrived. It's just, it was just a cardboard box. I'm like, you know, a big one, but it's a cardboard box. Well, she, it, it, you know, those things they make for kids that are like play tents. You like, it's, it, 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 it's like a little thing and you twist it and it pops up and it's Thomas the train or something like that. And you, your kids run around and, and go inside of it, but it's just like little, it's like a tent, little sticks that sort of pop it into shape. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's not built to last. No. Well, that's almost like what the, sauna it looks like but it's made out of the same kind of material like remember in the 80s when like if you wanted to lose weight you would go out jogging and you'd wear like a tinfoil suit and the, and and uh it's like a like a mc hammer style pants but they'd be like 
shiny silver and you'd carry little weights while, with you while you were power walking? Well, yeah, that's the that's the survival blanket. Every everyone in Alaska <laughs> yeah, that, carries yeah. <laughs> carries one of those in their car because right. if your car breaks down on a on an empty stretch of road, uh, you might die if you yeah. don't have a survival blanket. Yeah, okay, so it's just like that except it's a like it's it's a tent and there's this infrared heating unit inside of it and you put a chair inside of it or something and you sit in there and you I haven't done this yet, but every everyone else has done this. And they all come out of it and they're like, I almost don't want to do it because they come out of it and they're all like, yeah. I'm like, was it any good in there? Like, yeah, it's all right. Hmm. I'm like, do you feel better? Yeah, I feel all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay like what an endorsement yeah are you, are you tired yeah i mean no <laughs> like what, what's what's going on and so i feel like it's like a body snatcher kind of a thing like you're oh. replaced with a you know some kind of more mild uh relaxed version of yourself so i might i might have to try it but it's funny that you're talking about this right at the same time i think there's a movement in saunas around the u.s happening really I think uh, so. Well, I mean, I support them, but let me say that uh, growing up in Anchorage, there was a there was a real mm, fashion. Let's call it a fashion mm-hmm. to have an in home sauna that was a full sauna. I'm talking about with the wood walls and the benches and yeah. the, and the little you know ladle your water onto the hot rocks. My uncle had one in his house that, you know, could accommodate four or five people. And my mom had one in her house that could accommodate four or five people. So these are permanent installations. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're enormous uh, part of your home. And these both, I mean, my uncle's house, he built the sauna in a, they took over the garage and turned it into a, a play space, like for play space for their kids and a, a rec room. And he built this sauna into that space. You know, there was kind of the dad's, dad's quarter of the garage was this, I mean, but it was not, it's not like uh, cement floors and stuff. I mean, it had been built out properly and he had the whole cedar room in my mom's house, it was it was built as part of the house. There was also, and this is a weird thing about the 60s or 70s, there was a sun lamp bed. Oh, and, yeah. I remember you, that. Yeah, where you lay on this bed and there, and there are just light bulbs above you, but they're like sun lamp light bulbs. Yeah. I'm not sure whether you were trying to get a tan there or just get hot. Yeah, what are you doing? Do you, you remember, of course, famously, the um, reflective things that people would kind of put at the level oh, of their neck and f- yeah. to get their face tan or their, their under face tan. Yeah. I remember my mom and my, uh, my dad's girlfriend after they got a divorce, they, she was from Rhode Island and in Philadelphia, she would go and like lean out of the window with holding one of these things. Weird. I'm like, what's she doing? She's like, I'm getting some <laughs> getting some sano and some color Weird. and like that was the in philadelphia yes yeah not where not a place you'd think like i'm gonna get a tan in right philadelphia. like what, there's no sun here right I, I, all that 
And, you know, and the thing was, all that stuff was promoted to people as like health, right? That's that other sort of German Scandinavian tendency to think of all that stuff as health. Yes. My dad's whole thing of like, oh, the sun is an executive workout. It's like, how is this a workout? Yeah. But that premise of like lay on a bed under some hot light bulbs and there's something, there's some health aspect to it. But all by way of saying that my experience of having a home sauna is that the home sauna eventually fills up with cardboard boxes. Uh-huh. Because a sauna, I think a sauna, a part, a, a major part of the appeal of a sauna is that it is a social event. Even if you go into the sauna and you are not talking to anyone, mm-hmm. which is which is definitely a, a version of going into the sauna. There's the version of going into the sauna with a friend where you sit there kind of quietly like, talking about your business, but it's enough of an ordeal that I think a lot of people go into the sauna and just sit there quietly and, and, uh, and think deep thoughts. Most of which are, it's so hot in here. How much more of this can I stand? But so to have a sauna in your house where you just go in and sauna. Yeah. It just eventually the, the bloom is off the rose and then it becomes a place to put cardboard boxes. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think your infrared sauna, which is just a elaborate child's teepee. Yes. Um, I think you've actually gotten off pretty easy there because eventually it will just go away. It will one day cease to exist. And then you don't have to worry about it anymore. But there are probably, well, the fact is that Austin is a sauna for yes. three months out of the year. Yes. But there's got to be a gym or a spa somewhere close to you where you can go and go to the sauna. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely positive that there is and maybe even a sauna that's an infrared sauna the same, but I think I think my wife's idea and this thing was I mean for the record this was not expensive. Right. So I think in her mind it was the the convenience and the ease of use of having it and then being able to put the children you know in it if what? they yeah. You put the children in the infrared sauna? Yeah, my son has been in there. He loved it, too. He got all mellow out after it. Really? Yeah, I'm going to send you a picture of him in, in there to your, uh, to your iPhone in a second. All right. I want to see that. I definitely want to see that. He looks really cute in there. I'm always worried about... Because your head, your head and your arms stick out of it like a bad Woody Allen-style uh, robot. Orgasmatron. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or you remember that James Bond movie where he goes into... Because this was another fad in the 60s, right? Where you go into the hot box. Yeah. Just your head is sticking out. Yeah, that's what this is. It's like that. It's no different. Or, or remember the exercise equipment where you stood there and there was a belt around your tummy and it just <laughs> wiggled you. I uh, yes, I and used that. My grandparents had a had that downstairs in like that. They were in a condo in in Boca for many years. Yeah, and there was a quote unquote gym down there. And it they had would, one of those. It had one of those in it, and I would go on that. You know, like you're out hanging out with your with your friends, nothing to do on like a Thursday night, and I'm like. My grandparents have one of these machines down in their gym. Let's go, you know, check it out. And we would yeah. do other dumb things like, you know, go down the elevator and, and jump in the elevator to try and do like a zero G thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you've done, I'm sure you've done well. Oh, many, many times. In fact, I, I still do it if I'm in a hotel and I feel like it's got a fast elevator. It's got to be if fast. I, if I, It's got to be a fast elevator. And if I'm in one of those... And I'm all by myself or I'm with somebody I trust. I'll still jump up, try and get zero G's. I love doing that. I was always worried that we were going to 
you know, something terrible would, would happen. The thing would snap. Yeah. Or you'd fly to the ceiling. Yeah. But never happened. No, it's a wonder. It's, it's a wonderful gag. And you know, I've caught, I've caught pretty good air. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Time it just right. All right. I'm I'm sending you this right now to your, uh, to your phone. But I'm always a little bit worried by, uh, uh, at the prospect of putting your children in, like raising your children's body temperature on, uh, unnaturally, right? Like put, make your kid go into the, into the hot tub or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure whether that's okay. Although I'm sure in Norway, the kids are in the sauna from the time they're three. Yeah. I'm just I, not, I'm not I think she only, old. she only put him in there for 10 minutes, I think. And he came out, felt, he felt good, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ready to try it or not. Well, you haven't been in it. No, 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 no. I don't know if I, how I feel about it. Well, you know, maybe wheel it out into the driveway uh-huh. and do it right in front of all the neighbors. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm I, I'm a long-standing proponent of doing weird things in front of the neighbors so that they understand not to mess with you. Um, and maybe <laughs> maybe sitting in your in your infrared sauna teepee that will on, do it in the driveway. It'll just be one little message of like, yeah, the Benjamins. Ah. Uh, they're, they seem nice. Every once in a while, though, I don't know. I'm not sure what their religion is. Yeah. Got some weird, weird rituals over there. I've told you about the weird goings on. I've talked to Merlin about it probably too much, but there's weird, weird stuff in my neighborhood that it's weird to me. It's not weird yeah. like what happens in your neighborhood, I don't think. But it's things that don't make sense. Like one of the things I've always felt you could kind of count on in, in what, what is a very, I would say a a nice, but also sort of suburban kind of neighborhood is you can, you know, you, you remember the beginning of Edward Scissorhands where everyone sort of leaves the house at exactly, they have that overhead shot, which I believe was filmed, filmed in Tampa. Uh-huh. of all the cars back out of the driveway at exactly the same moment and all driving down the street exactly the same way and all the houses look alike. Like, I don't live in that kind of neighborhood. There's a lot of diversity in both the population who lives in my neighborhood, but also in the houses. It looks wonderful. It's this great established neighborhood, great for kids. But, like, if if I drive through there at a certain time, like, you'll see the same people on their walks at exactly the same time every day, seven days a week. You know, your neighbor's lights and stuff, they go on and off at like the same time. If you happen, happen to be going to bed and you glance out the window on your way, you'll see the, oh, that person's light's always on, that person's light's always on. And I pay attention to this, admittedly. Of course you do. More than other people. Because I like, you know, I like to keep track of things. I'm not taking notes on it. Perhaps I should. But once in a while, you see something weird. And I told, I told Merlin, I'm back to work. There was a number of episodes. I don't know if we should, you know, continue to talk about it because it, it has stopped but we would see this red light mm-hmm. coming from one of the windows on the upstairs window over the, the garage. It would just be this red light that would come on. And it was on mm-hmm. not every night, but many nights just for a, a period of a couple hours. And, you know, I could never figure out what it was. I didn't know where they, were they growing something in there? Were they using it as a dark room? And now I'm thinking maybe they were just doing something with the infrared sauna in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Suspicious, though. Well, you know, uh, growing up, when I did, 
which is not that different from when you did. But but are you two? I, you're two years older than me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I in and I again, I'm not sure if this is Alaska or if this is just the time, but there was always a guy in the neighborhood that had a giant shortwave radio antenna. Oh yeah. Remember the, the remember there was always, that was a guy. my dad, by the way. Really? <laughs> he, well, he did. He was more into Morse code than shortwave, which is even geekier and more wait, Alaska. Wait, I would think. Wait a minute, Dan, you're telling me that your dad had a home setup where he would talk to people with Morse code. Oh my God. Yes. Wow. Yes, I'm I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you an, another picture of me. <laughs> yes, and he did it and he got so good at this. He got so good at it that he actually went out and got a double keypad one so that it had like a high pitch and a low pitch. He was doing a two, a two finger uh thing. Oh my god. Yeah, and I'm going to send you a picture of me sitting in front of his rig. At, uh, I think I'm about 4 years old. I'm looking for this now. I'll send this to you. This is something that no one any younger than us could even possibly comprehend. Right. Most people, I don't even think they know what we're even talking about. Right my now. dad bought me a shortwave radio, and I used to sit in my room and listen to people in Russia talk. Wow! And isn't that crazy? But, but I never broadcast. It was just a. It was just like this big radio set where I could tune in all these. You know, you've got your normal radio, but then this had all these extra knobs and frequencies. And you could sit and listen to people far, far away. And I think Alaska, because it's so far north, maybe is it's easier to communicate kind of or easier to hear stuff globally. But there were all kinds of people. I mean, really, any neighborhood you went into, there was at least one guy with a tower, basically a radio tower in his backyard. And you know that he spends hours in his basement talking to people in Reykjavik. Because I don't know why, because it's like CB radios or like people on the internet, pre pre internet internet. Um, and I always felt that those guys were a little, that that was a sign that 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 was a house where the guy would be wearing suspenders and you would not want to go through their backyard. Oh yeah. But the fact that your dad is like Morse code guy, yeah, that's that's a whole higher level of. Okay, I'm looking at this picture of your son. In the in hot the, tent. In the hot tent, yeah. And that is great. Yes. But but also, like, super weird. <laughs> and if you did that out in the driveway, <laughs> it would. I mean, I don't even think you should do it. I think you should just put your son out there yeah. in the driveway in that thing, and that would be genius. But now I'm looking at this picture of you as a little boy mm-hmm. in front of your dad's enormous and very well-organized set of like weird broadcasting equipment some of it i reckon there's there's one piece of this equipment that i recognize as a radio shack preamp see i don't know what any of it is other than the the button i don't know what any of that stuff is well and then there's a there's an uh like a compressor here that actually is a pretty valuable piece of equipment now but then there's all this other radio dude stuff i don't know what it is that you know, he's got a, he's got like a oscillator. I don't, you know, I, I. You can see a soldering uh, coil. Mm-hmm. He, I think he was soldering all the time up there. What was he doing up there, soldering everything? What's he building in there? <laughs> it's 
it's wonderful and and it's so great. There's no microphone here. He's not no. ever broadcasting any other way than and where did he learn that in the army? I don't know. He was never in any armed forces of any kind. And I don't so, that's the whole thing is like I found out later when I was much older that apparently people at some the, point perhaps back then uh, were using were speaking over Morse code in some way. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize because this was just that Morse code meant the beeping. Yeah. I didn't even know that you could speak over it. I don't think you can. Or I at least you could. I don't ham radio is you can't yeah. speak over ham radio? Well, yeah, but ham radio is shortwave radio. It's the thing I'm talking about. Okay. I'm all confused. That's, you know, the ham radio guys are the ones that that are, you know, bouncing their radio signal off the off the undersphere or whatever, you know, they're bouncing it off the the uh atmosphere and that and in that way they're able to project their radio signals around the curvature of the earth. Are you making this up? No, no, you somehow the somehow the atmosphere enables you to communicate. I mean, you know, to to talk to somebody in Australia and I and I think it it really depends on atmospheric conditions and it's and sun flares affected and but but the really really good ham radio people when the atmospheric conditions were right, could talk to people on the other side of the globe by bouncing their, crazy. I mean, it's not like they're aiming their signal, but it would be, or maybe they are aiming their, I have no idea exactly how it works, but yeah, they would, they'd be able to triangulate to places that there was no possible line of sight. Wow. And, uh, and that's why, I mean, Alaska was a, was a good place for it because, you know, you could. Yeah. Right. You're much, up there. You're right up on top of everything. Yeah, much shorter distance to Europe, for instance. You just sort of bounce it off the, bounce it off the aurora borealis, and, <laughs> and it lands in, in Denmark. Right. But so those are the ham radio guys, and then the, the Morse code has to be in ham radio land. It has to be using some of a similar, somewhat of a similar thing, but maybe because it's so, um because it's just those little pings mm-hmm. you can you can project it even further or maybe it's just such an esoteric because when we were kids in 1970 there would be lots of people who had learned morse code in the navy there would probably still be people that had used it right it wasn't it wasn't weird to know morse code yeah it hadn't died it, <laughs> there were probably still people that had used it on the railroads got 80 year old guys that right. had used it you know, on the, uh, as a way of, it was common enough that the, that last generation would still be out there. Um, it's kind of like hot rodders now, all those guys that built hot rods all through the sixties and seventies, they're all, they're all 75 years old now. Right. It's, it's almost a dying art and Morse code would, you know, it's funny when you think about all the arts that we have seen die in our lifetimes just sort of like well there's the last world war one veteran gone and with him goes any knowledge of the last time major wars were fought with horses right and when you think uh, there's a there's a, a a book that i really like called the farm and i'm not even sure if it's in print or out of print 
but the farm was a book written by uh written by a guy in Ohio that that was kind of pioneering the experimental farm in the in the heyday of I'm talking about in the 50s when when uh, farming was increasingly mechanized right and he had he was working with a farm that I guess pre if you know foreshadows organic farming he'd taken over a, a farm and he had a, a lineage in Ohio farming that went back a long way. And he had, he had uh, like secondhand storytelling from his old grandfather of what his grandfather's life actually was like. And then they, they had perpetuated stories from his grandfather. So he wrote this book, the farm about his farm, but he could start with a lot of firsthand knowledge he could start with the founding of that farm in 1798 or 1802 or something. And so he walked you through what it was like there as a pioneer. And then as other people settled around your farm and then as a town grew up and then as that town became a bigger town and then, you know, and all the politics of it and all of the relationships and, and granddad was starting to get old and now a new, new characters were introduced and it was a fascinating book. And, and a big part of it was at every step of the way, you got a sense of, you, you got enough of a sense of what daily life was like that you could that when the steam engine was introduced, you could feel the kind of like confusion and, and, and sense that something was being lost, you know, like now the steam engine is here and that's very exciting. Now there's, you know, now there's a, they built a mill, you know, that type of thing where they built a mill, but all of a sudden there are all these strangers in town or all of a sudden, you know, we're, like all this wonderful breed of horses we've been, we've been breeding on this land for 70 years. They're kind of like irrelevant now or nobody's buying the horses anymore because there's the motor car. And, and just that, that just the way of the personalizing of it so that you could see at every step of the way, this feeling of like, well, all, everything that was good about the world is gone now. Yeah. And, uh, and the, you know, the house where we used to live has become a, a shed for farm implements. And then gradually, you know, this house is described as just kind of a tumble down shed (laughs) somewhere on the property, but that's the house that you, that this whole story started in. And so you, it, it conveyed even that feeling of regret and loss, like, no, 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 don't let the, don't let the, the first house tumble into the ground. And Ohio is, you know, Philadelphia obviously has enough history that you can feel, you can still see those buildings. Take a train trip across Pennsylvania. You can still see these like things off in the distance that, you know, at one point that was the, that was the homestead. Now it's just like a pile of rocks. Seattle doesn't really have that. The history here isn't quite that long, but there are, 
there are remarkable memories in the in the landscape here even even here and Seattle wasn't even founded until 1855 right anyway if you can find this farm the book the farm i think it was written by someone named lewis i don't remember you have to do a little research if you really want to read it yeah i want to find it cough button our final sponsor is igloo let me tell you about igloo what if there was an easy way for your corporate communications department to share company news what if you have like a new onboarding process or there's some kind of merger going on or changes to the company benefits plan? What if employees could find all the information they needed in one unified space? What if you could break down the silos and share information more efficiently? You know what? Sometimes cultural shifts start with technological ones. Igloo, remember the old term intranet? Well, Igloo is an intranet you're actually going to like. They take all of these great things that you find out there in, in the social world, whether it's, you know, chat or Twitter, blogging, calendaring, all of the stuff that we rely on. They've brought the best of it together in one place. You take what you need, you customize it, and you build your own intranet that puts just what you want for your company out there. This is an amazing, amazing tool for medium and large size companies, and you should absolutely check it out. It's all secure. They care about all of that stuff. Privacy is very important for them. They've got great customer service. Go and check this out. They made a special URL just for this show, igloosoftware.com slash roadwork. Again, igloosoftware.com slash roadwork. Go check it out. And we sure do appreciate Igloo's ongoing support for this program, Roadwork. Thank you, Igloo, igloosoftware.com. I'm not sure if other people who use cough buttons um, announce it every time. It seems like a weird, it seems weird to me that I, that my voice would, that I would stop responding for a minute without announcing that I was pushing the cough button. I mean, I would edit out the, here I go. Um, so if I were just coughing into the microphone, you would go in and make edits. Yeah. Like if, if I heard you go quiet for a second, Mm -hmm. I would just pause and wait. And then if you never came back, I would assume it was a, you know, like a Skype uh, problem. But if you came back right away, I would put a little marker and then edit it, edit it out. And no one, no one would even know. Uh, well, that's interesting. Would it be you that did it or would it be Hattie? No, she doesn't edit anything. Oh, I see. She's too well, busy selling. You know, the the Roderick on the Line program, as far as I know, is never edited. Merlin threatens to edit stuff all the time, but I I don't know. I don't listen to her. Yeah, I was going to say, you've, how would you know? You've never, <laughs> never yeah. listened. Have you listened to this show? No, 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 no. I don't listen to uh, shows that I do. Why? Mm. You say that like I, I would never listen to, <laughs> to one well, of my own shows. Well, no, because, you know, at first... It's like, oh, I didn't know that this song, uh, that this show had theme music. That's exciting. Yeah. And then we come, uh, we come online, and it's like, oh, hi, hi, how are you? And it's like, oh, listen to that. It's how novel. It's like my own voice. But you, I'm Talk- sure you've listened to your recordings that you've made when you're singing and and things. Like Not that. much. I mean, I do it when I'm making the record. I listen to the record one thousand times because I'm making it. And. Now, if you were called upon to perform a song that you last 
performed or or recorded or something many years ago and would you have to sort of relearn the the song in a way like would or do you just remember and this is leads to a bigger question which is musicians like you especially people who sing how do you it sounds like a dumb question but like how do you remember all the lyrics to your songs or to the many songs that you have to perform right well answering those questions in reverse order when you see a when you see a an artist in their or in i'm sorry not in their prime but in their um in their dotage if you go to see the rolling stones mick jagger has a has teleprompters at the foot of the stage that are just running his lyrics all the time and not that he probably needs it but it's there in case he does um and I think if you if you're a band where you've made 25 records, you can a first of all afford to have a teleprompter. And I mean, it's not that expensive to have, probably, but it's sort of necessary. Yeah, you're up there. You know, if you're Michael Stipe and you're and it's like let's that's great. Let's start with an earthquake, birds and planes, and, and then you got to look down at your teleprompter, like what the fuck did I say? <laughs> Um, what happens to me is that I routinely forget words on stage. I forget how the second verse starts. You know, if I had a prompt of what the first two words of the second verse were, I wouldn't have any problem, but without that prompt, and it's always about if you start, if you're in the middle of a song and you start thinking, thinking about something, thinking right. about the, even the song, uh, then the second verse comes around. And if you haven't played it in a while, or even if you have, it can, it can just go out, out of your ear. And because the Long Winter's vibe was always very casual and involved a lot of audience participation. I mean, we, we, we did a whole tour where I would, after every song, just say to the audience, like, what's next? Mm. And then a bunch of people would yell different songs and I would pick one. And, you know, we had no set list. We just played, we just improvised one or, or took suggestions throughout the night. Uh, and that was hard on, maybe hard on the band because not everybody wants to, you know, uh, there were a lot of musicians in my band that were more perfectionist than I was. Sure. But in answer to your first question, for the most part, the way I perform the songs now is a result of a game of telephone that I've been playing with myself over 15 years. So I don't go listen to the original recording. I just remember how we played it last and try to duplicate that. But certain things are forgotten. Certain things are re-remembered and certain things are remembered incorrectly. So as time has gone on, when I do, you know, if I'm in a bar and one of my songs comes on, I often am surprised to hear, oh, wow, that was the original vocal melody. I have changed that. Hmm. You know, at the end of every chorus, I go, I go a different place now than I used to. And so that game of telephone has evolved the songs because the last thing I want to do is go listen to the recording and relearn it. Because, yeah, I don't, I mean, I know all kinds of musicians that listen to their own music a lot. And it's partly that they're proud of it and partly that they really like it. And I, I like it. I like my own music 
but I just, there's also an element of it that's uncomfortable. And, and that would, and that's absolutely true of podcasts. Hearing my own voice for more than about 10 minutes, I just start to get skeeved out and I'm like, nah, I'm, I can't, uh, I can't sit here and do this. This is too, this is too intimate with myself. I totally understand what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like over the years, I've just sort of gotten a, more of a tolerance to it, if, at least for the sake of like, as much as I hate it. It's not that I don't like the way that I sound or I don't like my own voice or something like that, but I'm, I definitely get what you're saying, but in, in an effort to try to improve and see what I've done wrong or how I could do it better, I feel like I'm obligated at least occasionally to listen back to what I do. And even if it's little things like that's how I've, if I haven't, if I have improved, that's a big part of why I've improved is listening, listening back. Yeah. But I don't think I w- I don't think it's fair to compare podcasting to being being a musician and and performer and the kinds of things that you do because it's I mean it is a performance for sure but it's I think it's got to be so different than making a song. Well, but I think you're onto something, and I I think that I, there are a lot of performers who listen to live recordings of themselves in order to get better, and that may be a crucial way of getting better review review and and um revise and i just have never gone through that process of like all right well last night the sh- here's the things that didn't go right with the show and we need to we need to step it up um i just always plow forward with right maybe it comes from that has to come from the fact that like you're you're creating from your heart and then at the end of the set people applaud it and you must figure like well i must have done something right people bought tickets yeah you know what i mean like that's uh-huh. that's kind of different yeah uh i don't know i don't know uh i feel like i'm i am not a good example of <sighs> of like a, of a professional entertainer. I'm a good example of a, of an accidental and somewhat slap a dash, um, performer. And, and I think some of that, maybe a lot of it is rooted in the fact that, that I feel like being in front of people and putting on some kind of show, any kind of show is just very natural and and so why would you why would you mess with that? Why would you try to get better at something that was that felt so um, instinctual? But of course, the reason you would do that is to get better and better and stop being instinctual and start being actually good at a thing. Um, hone, you know, hone your instinct. Mm-hmm. And that's a process I've never gone through. And I think that's why I have 30,000 fans at everything I do. And I never get to 50,000 fans. I mean, that's gotta be, you know, I was talking, I was actually talking to my wife about this of like that threshold, especially for a performer where they go from, because some of my friends are tweeting because now that the music festival of South by Southwest has began, begun. Mm-hmm that 
they're saying, don't go to the big acts. You won't get in anyway. Go to the go to the little venues. Go to the small acts. Go to listen to people you've never heard of because that's like that's where the good stuff is. Mm-hmm. And necess- in a way, like you, you, well, but you, <laughs> but I, I feel like you've stayed pure because mm-hmm. you never achieved international multi-million dollar level success you know you were not on the cover of rolling stone no i wasn't but somehow like your fans and i'm one of them i think like we like that in some way about you because Mm -hmm. like it's kept you real do you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying yeah I, i played a show in san francisco one time where i walked out on stage and in the first song started you know, playing a fairly elaborate guitar solo and got so in the solo that I went back and accidentally tripped over an amplifier (laughs) and fell backwards over the amplifier (laughs) into a rack of guitars. Oh my God. Suddenly was upside down behind an amp. All you could see was the, was the boot, my boots, (laughs) the heels of my boots. And I continued and I broke a guitar. I fell into a guitar enough that I broke a, snapped the neck but i continued to play the solo oh man until the song was over with my boots sticking up in the air and then i got you know i got up and was like hey everybody thanks for coming to the show (laughs) you can see we're off to a whiz bang start and it was at the independent in san francisco it was a it was a big appreciative crowd but uh, after the show it was still early enough days that there were still, you know, there was a, still a lot of energy around message boards. Um, and I was on a message board, you know, kind of, cause you're looking for reviews of the show, how'd it go? You know, you want to hear people say like, that is the best. And there was a, a woman who wrote a, a fairly long review and said, I've been a, a fan of this band. I've listened to their records. I really love them. And this is the first time I've ever seen them play. And, John Roderick came out visibly drunk and they like every song sounded different from the record. Mm -hmm. There was all this weird talking in between the songs where he's just talking about the news of the day and just interacting with audience members and kind of getting into arguments with them or whatever, telling them to fuck off. And I was just really disappointed. I, I, I came to hear the music that I loved and it's like the singer made no attempt to perform the music as as it is. He put on this show of like where it seemed like he didn't even respect his own music. I was like, "Wow, lady, uh, that's a he- that's a heck of a review." And she concluded by saying, "I, you know, why? When is he going to understand that?" we come to hear the songs Mm -hmm. and another experience I was on tour in Spain and there was a sort of the, my record label in Spain would always send somebody from the label out on tour with us that kind of functioned as a not very good tour manager. Partly I think it was, they sent somebody out so that they, they could settle at the end of the night and then only give us a small percentage of the money we had earned. But this this tour manager at one point 
said to me after a show, like, your music is so good, you could be such a a much bigger artist if you would just if you would just take your music more seriously. And what he was referring to was halfway through a song, I was playing acoustically and there was a solo break in the electric version. So I sat with my acoustic guitar and played all this. Just like kind of dumb interpretation of the live record, but on an acoustic guitar. And I was kind of laughing at myself as I did it. And people in the audience laughed. But he felt that it was disrespectful of the music and of the audience to mock my own music or to, you know, right. to make myself a figure of fun yeah. when I was a serious artist. Oh. And in both cases, that woman's review and, and that, uh, and that tour manager's sort of admonition, both cases I was like, well, what are you talking about? You obviously don't know what I'm doing or, you know, I wasn't, I was dismayed, not that I had failed to provide the entertainment they sought. I was dismayed that there were people in the world still that didn't get what I was doing or that, that there would be somebody that would bother to come to a live concert at the independent. Like if you're going to see a live concert at a stadium, you probably don't want to see Beyonce just riff on her own tunes. You want to hear the tune. Right. And that's what you're going to get because she's playing to backing tracks. She's got professional musicians. All the dance bits are coordinated with the, with the, you know, with the, where the music is landing. But if you're coming to the independent to see an indie rock band, I think you would hope that you were going to get a, you were going to get a, a once in a lifetime show. It's an hour and a half of your life. Wouldn't you rather see it be something different? If you want to listen to the song as it is on the record, go listen to it on the record. Right. So, so, but that's an attitude that I have that maybe isn't shared by most people. I've certainly toured with a lot of bands that played the same set every night, exactly the same way. And I, and that is probably a lot easier. And by the end of the tour, you have that set nailed, right? You go from one song to the next with no, with no baloney in between. Plenty of bands, they say that they have the same banter between songs every night and it's excruciating for me as a tour mate to watch it you know to be able to say what what the next line of banter is going to be but that's a different you know that's just a matter of personal taste right there are plenty of people in show business that would say that that was what professionalism was get up there and, and after the fourth before the fourth song and the fifth song you say it's the first of all the first time you've spoken to the audience since the beginning of the show you play your first four songs without ever addressing the audience at all. Just one into the next. And then after the fourth song, you go, Hey everybody, thanks for coming out. It's awesome to be here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. This next song is about a, is about a girl that I once knew. And, <laughs> you know, and I felt that she was a real knockout. Uh, so this song is a, it's about a boxer because this girl was such a knockout. And then the band starts the song and you're just like, I've heard that seven times 
and it sucked the first time. And I just want to, I just want to hit, hit this band with a, with a fire extinguisher. But the audience is eating it up, I guess. So I don't know. I don't know, Dan. I've never listened to my, uh, to our podcast is a, this is a long way of saying, and really haven't listened to my own records very much. I've sure as shit listened to Commander Thinks Aloud a lot because it keeps getting played for me everywhere I go. Yeah. Is that uh, bad? I mean, like, you know how, like, if, if this was, you know, the Tonight Show and we were bringing you out on a guest, like, what would song would the band play? Oh, Prison Colon Ensign on Cusel <laughs> is what I would want my music to be as yeah. I walked out on stage uh, on the Carson show. Yeah. But, um, you know, the reason I listened to Commander Thinks Aloud is that so many people said that the episode of Song Exploder, where we talked about that song, had affected them very deeply. And so after I got about 50 tweets to that effect, mm. I said, well, all right, I will go listen to that because, I mean, explained, I mean, I knew that Rishi had edited it considerably and I wanted to know exactly what, how he had done it because we did a live show and it, it affected people but this was a podcast that generated a lot of attention so i did go listen to that and i and i understood how the power of the of the way the show is made how it really you know created a response and so i listened to my own voice throughout that podcast kind of without ever wincing because it, you know, the the editing was so artfully done. Mm-hmm. I put that into the show notes. That's episode twenty eight from January of twenty fifteen. Yeah, it's a. I mean, I'm. Sh- I don't know if everybody's heard it, but it, but it. They was, should. Yeah, it went out as, uh, as kind of a. Uh, I think he considers it sort of one of the highlight shows of his podcast for sure. And I like I. Uh, it's it's a thing that I that I appreciate. But, you know, people send me all the time uh, YouTube videos of them covering my songs, and I am, it's very hard for me to listen to those, too. Even really good ones. I'm because like, it's your song or, or because you don't yeah. like the interpretation of it? No, no, no. Sometimes I love the interpretation because it's, it's my song. And I'm like, ah, just, ah. and it's not that I don't like the song. It's just, it's uncomfortable. I don't know why. I can't explain it, Dan. <laughs> 